Thanks for calling the Get Wired Inbox. Right now, we're trying to help parents, teachers, and kids learn from each other. We want to hear from you. I'm actually really excited getting back into the classroom again. Well, into the classroom, quote unquote. We are going to be teaching on Zoom. The online learning, we find it very uh, isolated. But with the student with ADHD, it is remotely impossible. He gets distracted very easily. It's really difficult to create a time to wake up and then do school and then also live life when everyone in your family is working on their phones. The largest challenge is really getting the students to turn on their cameras and engage. So you can tell when they have that, oh crap, I don't know what's going on face. No gadget ever replace a caring, compassionate educator. Even if we are reduced to the box inside of the video screen, It's a back-to-school season like nothing we've ever experienced before. Due to the coronavirus pandemic, some school districts in the U.S. are going entirely remote, while others are trying hybrid learning. This has created what it feels like an entirely impossible situation, whether you're a parent who suddenly had to change plans or a teacher who sees firsthand how the pandemic has exacerbated the digital divide. Or even if you're a little kid who really hates to be on Zoom, and now you have to do it all day long. So for this episode of Get Wired, we wanted to understand how are parents and teachers adapting on the fly? This is Get Wired, and I'm your host, Lauren Good. For the first part of this episode, I wanted to talk to parents who have been juggling work with raising kids and now have to factor in online schooling, too. And I didn't have to look very far. My colleague Adrian So, who is based in Portland, Oregon, had been preparing since February to send her five-year-old Shannon to kindergarten this fall. And then when COVID emerged, everything changed. Adrian, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. The weather here is really nice right now, so that's something to enjoy. So how did the pandemic change your life as a working parent? It completely vaporized these structures that I had for taking care of my kids. (laughs) Like, you have children and you're like, okay, from this age, they have a babysitter. From this age, they go to daycare. And then once they get to this age, they go to school. And the pandemic happened and it was like, just kidding. You don't have any of that. You have to kind of invent all of the structures on your own. I am a senior writer in Wired's Gadget Lab. My job is playing with all the things with and without my kids and writing about it. Like it was definitely cool challenges for like robot vacuums to like have to try to navigate around three-year-olds and like 4,000 Legos going on at the same time. But I was beginning to get a little bit fried. (laughs) It's Monday morning at my pod house and uh, we're setting up the backyard pool and uh, rocking out to... Yep. And rocking out to this week's choice of music, which is Ozzy Osbourne. Crazy Train's a big hit around here. So like at 10 a.m. every morning, it's like Ozzy time. Yesterday has been and gone. Tomorrow when I find 
you must have Alexa devices around. So are the kids just like constantly querying Alexa for Ozzy Osbourne? Uh, here is where I have to admit that I unplug all of my smart speakers because it is too much. <laughs> I unplugged them during the great frozen craze. I could not listen to let it go anymore. But it's really something to see like a three-year-old like head banging, jumping up and down on the couch going, Ozzy, Ozzy. How did they get into Ozzy Osbourne? I am... I blame the other family. Don't tell them. (laughs) We formed a pandemic pod, which was really funny to me to keep using this word because as far as I knew before, it was called a nanny share (laughs) since like the beginning of time. I'm wondering what it's like when you send your kids off to nanny share with the other family in the mornings. Do you feel like I'm sending my kids off into pandemic world now? Or do you have a sense of relief? Oh, man. You would think that it would be scary, but it's actually totally awesome. (laughs) There's 10 minutes of complete chaos and finding people's shoes and people don't want to put their jackets on. But the minute that you can like hug them and kiss them and then close the door, the silence after I close the door and I have the whole house to myself is almost spiritual. I'm so grateful. And it's just, whew, like, I've never been so happy to check email in the morning. It's actually amazing. Do they have a sense of what's going on with the pandemic? When you were really strictly isolated, my daughter definitely had a sense that something was not right. Like, We went through a whole phase in May and June where the game that she kept playing was a hospital, like lining up all of her stuffed animals and all the stuffed animals had COVID and we'd have to make medicine and feed them to all of her stuffies for them to recover from the coronavirus. But as the pandemic pod has gone on, it has started to feel more and more normal to them. So Adrian, as the school year was getting closer, how were you assessing what was actually going to happen with kindergarten? We and the other pod family were transforming ourselves into amateur epidemiologists. I was following the Oregon Health Department's COVID tracker really closely. I was using phrases like test positivity rates and disease burden indicators with disturbing frequency. And the more research that I read, it became really obvious that this was going to become an extremely hyper-local decision, like not only how your country was handling the coronavirus, but your state, district by district, and then even your child's own special needs. You know, if you're a wired parent, you're used to relying on research and seeking out experts. But in this case, the best expert on my child was me. So you're tracking all of this data. Where did the school district eventually land? Yeah, After all that work, Portland Public Schools announced about two weeks before school was going to start that it was going to be fully remote, which I was kind of glad about. (laughs) And what's happening at the school itself? Yeah, I went to go visit. Shannon's principal is named 
Dana Nirenberg, and she was outside the school handing out Chromebooks. Um, and she agreed to walk me through and show me the classroom where Shannon would have had kindergarten. So this is, I mean, it's not at all ready, but this is, um, this is Shannon's classroom. This is room one. Yeah. I remember I came to visit in January, I think was the meeting, and it looked totally different than yeah. it does now, obviously. Like all the shades are drawn and the main difference is that there are no kids on on the mat or whatever yeah it's just really it's just really quiet and really empty all the little tables are (laughs) bare and the desk is bare and okay well that's a bummer let's leave here now (laughs) and ordinarily like so what's going on in the school that they have to prepare for for this year Most of the teachers are going to be doing Zoom remotely this year, but a school is kind of a command center. Schools serve as so much more than just a place for kids to learn. Like if the problem was that kids aren't reading, like you can figure out a way to drop kids' books, but schools are places where kids socialize and find emotional stability and get enough to eat. There's free lunches and free breakfasts to be distributed. You know, a large part of remote learning, especially for a school like my daughter's, which is 84% free lunch, is just making sure all the kids are happy and healthy. I've been really pleasantly surprised by the breadth of solutions that my kids' teachers have been applying. It ranges from really low-tech ones to really high-tech ones. Uh, Dana, my kids' principal, was pretty stoked that they'd been able to get a hold of touchscreens for all the kindergartners. But in addition to that, they're deploying a bunch of really low-tech solutions, cardboard study carols little tiny cubicles so that kids in crowded houses can have a little bit of privacy and space to work. The the study carol space, like to help foster that identity, like you're a kindergartner. This is your special kindergarten space. You can decorate it. You can have these tools and make sure you check off your work because that's what kindergartners do is they check off their work when they finish it. You know, our teachers will also have like math kits and like specific tools in kids' hands. I saw them preparing paper bag kits in the cafeteria to distribute to the kids once the school year starts. It'll be full of little material objects for the kids to hold in their hands while the teacher leads them through a lesson on Zoom, like buttons or paper clips. So in the case of your daughter, teacher Michelle, she'll know that every child has, you know, 16 buttons, mm-hmm. right? And so she'll say, okay, Shannon, get out your buttons. Mm-hmm. Like, so we're not leaving anything to chance, like find something in your house that we're yeah. gonna make sure our kids have all those tools. Okay. To try and mitigate as much of that, oh, I don't have it. Because then you feel left out or Mm -hmm. you feel like, oh, then you want to like bother your mom. Like, yeah. So things like that. With all of these high tech and low tech solutions for learning, how are you feeling about Shannon's first day of kindergarten? At this point, I have to trust that Dana, Shannon's teachers and our nanny and us are all working together to give her as seamless a kindergarten experience as possible. And I'm hopeful things will go well, but Dana was pretty clear with me that there are going to be some stops and starts in the process. We'll see how it goes and we'll have constant conversation and opportunity to reflect and refine. Okay. It's not going to be a perfect first draft. I'll tell you that. Yeah. 
Later on, we'll check in with Adrian to hear how the first week back to school actually went. But we also wanted to hear from the educator side of the equation, and particularly from someone who's going back to school in person. That's the case with Regina Schaefer. Regina is an education technology specialist in Middletown Township, New Jersey, where, at least for now, they're going to try hybrid learning with some kids in the classroom and some kids remote. Regina's job means that she trains other teachers on all of the latest tech tools. But she's also concerned, as many experts are, that the pandemic could exacerbate the digital divide for students. Regina, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. All around the country, it seems like each state, each county is dealing with coronavirus differently. What's happening where you are? Our district was so divided. So before we left school, they had a committee for reopening, um, a district committee, and they had been working all summer. They surveyed the community and it was just (laughs) 50-50. About half of them wanted their children to continue with remote education and the other half wanted them to be in person. What is it going to look like when you go back? It's been a logistical nightmare, I, I would probably say for every district. So teachers will do four day lesson plans and everyone will either get the lesson in person or at home via streaming. So this is what happens. We have seven blocks, seven periods. It's block one, you have math. You're in the first cohort, it's Monday. So the math teacher for that one hour, 45 minute block will teach, but she'll be um, streaming. So she'll be streaming and teaching cohort A there. Okay, so teachers will have some kids in the classroom, some kids will be remote, and then the kids swap, and everyone's expected to just follow the lesson plan, like nothing's changed? Because the Thursday, Friday students still need to know what happened Monday and Tuesday, right? Okay. Oh, it's enough to make anybody's head hurt. See how, see how you're, imagine the teachers, right? Because they're thinking, how can they, you're home watching the math lesson, right? And the teacher is introducing something new, which they will. (laughs) And the students in the class have questions that they're going to have to address, right? But then you're watching and you have a question. So they also have to, I guess, watch the chat. You know, I don't want them to worry about the technology of it. Um, I don't want them to spend time troubleshooting anything. I had teachers texting me and emailing me at one in the morning, crying in the spring because they were up that late going through their Google Classroom, trying to grade. So teachers are doing a lot of gymnastics to make learning um, feel like learning for students. They want to be in the classrooms. It's harder to be at home. It's harder. Mm-hmm. I don't think most teachers would, given the perfect situation, they would not want to do it remotely because, you know what, I want to be there. I can. I want to be able to look in your face. I can tell the energy if everyone doesn't get it. I can, I can feel that. It's hard to feel it on a Zoom. <laughs> and then we have a lot of equity issues in that, like some students don't want to show what's going on in their family and their families don't want everyone to see it. Like, I'm worried about the privacy issues, the legalities of having streaming <laughs> If you're in my class and I'm streaming, that means kids at home are watching. I don't know who's in that home watching you. But the minute they said streaming, that's the first thing I thought of. That means yeah. students have to just sit in their, sit in their little cubicle. Nope. 
that's not realistic. Like, have you ever been with elementary students? That's so not realistic. <laughs> it's just not. <laughs> so let's talk about the digital equity. Um, mm-hmm. You co-authored a book with Sarah Thomas and Nicole Howard about digital equity called Closing the Gap. Yes. Um, you wrote this before COVID times, right? Is that correct? Yes. Because digital is, well, we wrote it mainly because digital equity has been an issue since there's been technology. Mm-hmm. What were you trying to get across in that book? To um, A, recognize the gap because, you know, when you say the digital divide, what are we talking about? Does everyone not have an iPhone? <laughs> is that, the, you know what I mean? What's the digital divide? And it's not just hardware because most people think, oh, that's cool. They don't have Chromebooks. But you know what? It's not just Chromebooks. They don't, their teachers haven't gone to training. So I personally would rather be with the school that had teachers that have been going out to professional development, that have a personal learning network, that are progressive and innovative, but they maybe don't have the hardware, than vice versa. Like I, I always say to people, my friends who are not in education, that are out in the, we always say real world, you wouldn't buy a piece of equipment and sit it in front of an employee and just say, go for it. They always train them, right? And they tell them how they want it used for productivity. That hasn't been the model in education. I'm wondering how you would describe the equity gap in education for the kids where you work. Absolutely. Um, I can even say, remembering back seven, eight years ago when we first got Google and I had a student who brought in his MacBook Pro so we could download Chrome. And then I had students who didn't even have a cell phone. I was in the middle school where we got from both sides of town, from Bon Jovi on one side of town to poverty on the other and everything in between. So I've always seen that in the homes. I know that if I suggest an app or something, that there's going to be a certain population of parents that will get it right away. And then there'll be another population of families that I will actively work to make sure they can get it. I don't know about every district, but I know our district has homeless students. That may mean they're living in a motel or they're living in foster care somewhere, maybe far, and they're traveling, right? We try to make sure that they have access to Wi-Fi. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. I don't know if you happen to see the photo of the two little girls sitting outside of a Taco Bell in Salinas, California with their laptops because it was the only place they could get Wi-Fi for school. Yes, I did. And I know my district has been good. Part of our future readiness was mapping the entire town, 60 miles, of free hotspots, which is good. But, you know, I don't want students sitting outside of Burger King, frankly. Districts, again, are not accustomed to the nuances of digital gaps. Again, it's not just giving you a Chromebook. How has COVID affected all of that? Families had to begin to think about things like their Wi-Fi and their bandwidth in a different way that they've probably never even knew existed. Then we have families who their homes aren't large enough. So everyone is in the living room at the same time. If you have three or four students and everyone has to be on a Zoom call, And then the teacher says it has to be quiet. Like online, we've like railed against this a lot of teachers posting thing rules, like Zoom rules saying, you know, you have to have this, you have to find a quiet area. That's the one I saw. What if there's not a quiet area? 
So teachers also have to, and districts, they have to think outside of themselves. Maybe you've always known this. That's always been your life. You've always lived in the suburbs. You've always been middle class, right? And you've always had a place that would be quiet. That's not the reality for a lot of the country. And a lot of your students that you wouldn't know that because you're not really in their homes. Now you're in their homes and you have to be sensitive to that. You have to. I will say this, I had a relative when this first happened in the spring, she had to do all of her assignments on her phone. So she was checking her Google Classroom on her phone. She was writing an essay on her phone. Because she didn't have a laptop? Yes. Actually, I found out that if you had a phone, they, they checked that off as you have a device. It's really difficult to write an essay on the phone. It's yeah, hard. it is. It it's really hard. is. <laughs> you know, we've been talking about some of the more immediate solutions that teachers like yourself and parents have had to turn to in the coronavirus pandemic. But I'm wondering what you think this means for the future of education long term. I think the future of education will be personalized learning and it's going to be more hybrid like this. I think it's going to be more choice. What I don't know is um, how that will affect the gap. Some students really do well at home alone. My child would rather be online and not in a group. Everyone is different. I don't know if you've seen, you know, for example, some people will go online and say, I'm offering to buy teachers what they need this year, or I'm a private donor supplying the laptops and Chromebooks and iPads for the kids. Um, Do donor shoes? And, th- and those are like great efforts, right? But then it kind of makes you wonder, what does it mean if we keep relying increasingly on these private sources of funding versus pushing for policy that would change this? I think that it has to be in policy. I think that we have to reinvest in education. I have friends who work in private schools and I have friends whose children go to private schools. It's like night and day. If you're paying $50,000 a year, even in this situation, their experience is very different. Some of them have teachers who come to their house to set up your technology for you. But, you know, I do hope that people embrace education and understand that we're all on the same team. And these are the children who will be adults later. So we have, I always think about it like that. We're, we're helping to create thinking, hopefully thoughtful adults who will be ready to run our country in this century. And if we don't invest in education and plug the digital divide, I'm not sure what our future will look like. Regina, thank you so much for talking to me and for joining Get Wired. Thank you for having me. Hey, Adrienne. Hey. So the last time we caught up, it was right before Shannon was going, quote unquote, back to school, but it was going to be entirely remote. And now it's the first week of September and school has started. So I wanted to check in and see how things were going. Everyone is doing their best. It is kind of a shit show because none of us have any idea what's going on. Like I knew the first day of school was September 2nd. And I knew that I was supposed to get an email from 
Dana or the school or someone and that day came and nothing happened. So I logged onto Facebook of all places and I saw that Dana had posted a video and it was like, oh crap, like device pickup is in like an hour. And I just ran over there in the middle of the day. There was like a three hour window where you could pick up the devices. And it's like, I'm already playing catch up and Shannon hasn't even had her first official day of school yet. How is Shannon feeling about all of this technology that she now has to use all day? She's pretty familiar with a tablet. Babe, so this is your computer for kindergarten. Do you like it? (laughs) It has the keys, just like mommy's computer. Now you look just like mommy. What do you think? What's the password? Uh, we don't know the password yet. I have to schedule a meeting with your teacher. But I wanted to emphasize uh, for parents who are preparing their own school year, once you get the device, before you do anything else, just plug it in, charge it, make sure it turns on, make sure that you have all the logins. How is Shannon feeling about going to kindergarten this year? Right now, it is actually probably the biggest source of stress in her life. She's really shy. Uh, She's been talking to me about how worried she is about going to kindergarten. So Shannon, you know you're going to go to kindergarten at the school around the corner where we skateboard, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's going to be really different than what we thought it's going to be. You're going to be on Zoom with your teacher. Do you think that's going to be fun? No. It's not going to be fun. You don't like you don't like Zoom. I'm scared of Zoom. The last time I was doing Zoom with my old primary, I got so shy that we stopped doing. Yeah, we did stop doing it. Oh, Shannon, I feel for her. Too much Zoom, Shannon. I know. <laughs> this is something. It's it's relatable. It sounds like the decisions that parents, teachers, and administrators have to make right now are just impossible decisions. And that, from what we know, some people's school years are off to a pretty rocky start. What do you think this means for the future of education? I think we're all in survival mode right now, just trying to get login information and make sure everyone is set up for the next day. It's kind of crazy. But if the end result of this is that we increase a lot of students' access to reliable Wi-Fi, if we all learn to accommodate working parents' schedules, if remote schooling becomes an easier option for kids with special needs, like I feel like there are a lot of good things that could come out of this. That's it for this episode of Get Wired. Get Wired is hosted by me, Lauren Good. You can follow me on Twitter at Lauren Good. This episode was reported by me and Adrian So. You can find Adrian on Twitter at Adrian M. So. Thanks to Dana Nuremberg and Regina Schaefer for coming on the show. Thanks also to Wired reporter Pia Saris, 
And also to Sarah Thomas and Dee Lanier for helping us understand school today and the digital divide. And thanks to everyone who called into the Get Wired podcast and shared your experiences and how you're coping with back to school this year. This episode was produced by Mickey Capper with additional production help from Anna Stitt and Alex Jerome. Nina Gensler-Debs is our podcast editor. Megan Greenwell, the editor of Wired.com, is our story editor. Our executive producer is Alex Kappelman. Scott Rosenfield is our site director. Wired's editor-in-chief is Nick Thompson, and Julie Shen oversees our audio initiatives. Mixing and scoring was done by Hannes Brown. Our theme music is by Allison Layton Brown. You can find us on Wired.com forward slash subscribe forward slash get wired. And there's more info in the show notes. If you enjoyed this show, please leave us a review. We would love to hear from you. And you can subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week.